Hello, and welcome back to the universe and you. I'm your host, Peter, and today I'm going to try to um, give you an existential crisis about the world we all live in, but more so, I want to take you on a journey. Let us travel through space and time, try to understand our universe, and discover some of the interesting facets that makes it just such a wonderful world to live in. First of all, I want to explain my uh, my poor voice. It uh, Unfortunately, the holidays were not particularly good to me, and uh, I am sick. However, the release day is coming up, and I'll spend the next two a couple days very busy. So rather than be late, I decided to give you um, an episode without my normal, you know, uh, luxurious voice, of course. Because uh, I'm just trying to remind you all to be thankful for the times when you're not sick. Alright, so, our topic today, wormholes. Now, this is a weird topic. They are uh, hugely theoretical, even more so than black holes, which we covered in a previous episode. Wormholes have gone through many iterations, but we're going to start off with talking about their origins. Where did they come from, and what were the first theorized proposals for these wormholes? So, the first type of wormhole ever kind of uh, extrapolated came from, like many things in modern-day physics, the Einstein field equations. Those are the, the equations that Einstein discovered, and, and, well, I suppose he created the equations to mimic or explain discoveries in the real world, however you want to term that. But essentially, uh, these equations were published by Einstein in the early 20th century as a way of explaining and defining our universe. Now, a lot of modern things have been discovered or extrapolated through different solutions for the Einstein field equations. Black holes are one of those things that we talked about in the past, as well as other things. One of the more famous examples are going to be black holes. So the first type of proposed wormholes uh, was discovered by Einstein and Nathan Rosen, who is just another physicist who was working with Einstein on this project. They published a paper together um, in the early, early 20th century, the 1920s, and they proposed something called, well, what they called, or became to be known as, an Einstein-Rosen bridge. Now, you might be thinking, where have I heard that before? Well, here's your answer. Unless you happen to frequent nerd things, or physics-y things, uh, you probably heard it, well, this is a nerd thing, I suppose, but you probably heard it in Thor. Yes, Thor, the Avenger, the Asgardian. They used an Einstein-Rosen bridge as a scientific explanation for the Bifrost. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that's ridiculous. And you'll probably be able to tell some of your friends about them you know, next time you get together for coffee or whatever it is people do. So, like most weird things today, these Einstein-Rosen bridges were predicted by solving a special solution to the general theory of relativity using certain mathematical tools. Uh, so, of the Einstein field equations with a Jacobian matrix and determinant. So, Jacobians are just values that can be found using the determinant of a matrix, uh, but basically they're very powerful tools in several different forms of mathematics, including numerical integration. So, the Einstein-Rosen bridges are, and this is going to get really technical, I'm going to break it down in a minute. They are a transcendental bijection of the space-time continuum. An asymptotic projection of the Kalabai Yao manifold and manifested in anti-desitter space. Okay, 
So Kalabi Yao Manifold is basically just a complex 3D shape. It's got a lot of sharp edges, gradual sloping, all that. It's actually kind of a cool shape to look at, but not exactly very... You can't really picture it, or I can't vocally explain it to you. Uh, but it's spelled C-A-L-A-B-I hyphen Y-A-U. So if you want to go ahead and Google that, you can put it on Google Images. And it's a pretty cool shape. Um, I might even try to throw it in my 3D printer later. We'll see how it goes. Anti-to-sitter space is maximally symmetric Lorentzian manifold space-time, in which no point in space and time can be distinguished in any way from another. And being Lorentzian, the only way in which direction can be distinguished is whether it is space-like, light-like, or time-like. Now, I'm not sure how much of that got through. Probably very little unless you happen to be a mathematician or a physicist. Honestly, like most of these topics, I did do a lot of research myself. Uh, my STEM background only really allows me to be able to have a inkling of what's going on, and most of the stuff is well beyond me. So, what does that actually mean? Okay, wormholes are just theoretical structures, which link uh, disparate points, so separate points, in space-time. They are a tunnel with two ends, but when you pass through them, you find that the length of the tunnel was entirely separate from your perceived movement in space. So, if you go through a tunnel, imagine if you went going through a mountain, and for years and years and years, there was no tunnel. There was only the mountain pass. And everyone just accepted, yeah, the mountain pass. That's, that's how you get over this tunnel, or over this mountain. There's nothing else. Well, one day, someone had a bright idea. Someone started digging. Someone produced a tunnel. Now, if everyone else was imagining the real world as having the mountain and no tunnel, and going over it was the only solution, the ability to go through the tunnel would seem like, well, that would seem incredible. That would seem like there is a, this magical solution to traveling much faster than everyone else. That's kind of the idea. Here's another example. Imagine you have a piece of paper with two holes in it. Now these holes are eight and a half inches apart. A massive distance when you scale it up to a universe. Well, what if you just folded the paper? What if you took the two pieces, the uh, piece of paper and folded it so that the two holes aligned? This is the theory behind wormholes. And this is why physicists are kind of eager to find out how they work? Do they exist? Can we travel them? If we could, well, we'd have faster than light down. Alright, check that box. What's next? But, unfortunately, these are purely theoretical. They've never been discovered, but they are consistent with the general theory of relativity. And the general theory of relativity has a tendency to be proven. It, uh, it has been over the... the Nearly a century since it was published, or actually slightly more, I think. 1916, I believe. Okay, so let's visualize this. What does a wormhole actually look like? Think of the movie Interstellar. Great movie. And surprisingly well-researched. Typically, wormholes have a tendency to be imagined as, you know, maybe a toroid in the sky with, like, a bright disk in the middle, and you travel through the bright disk, and there you are. Uh, sometimes they're just flat planes. Well... These are actually pretty unimaginative and not really accurate. The term wormhole is mostly colloquial. A better name would be worm sphere. They're only holes if you imagine space as a two-dimensional plane, 
not the three-dimensional complex being that we know it to be. And really, what's a three-dimensional circle but a sphere? So, in essence, they would appear to be spheres. Now, how what they actually look like, what they actually do to light around them, what happens there? Well, anyone's guess is it's pretty valid. We have no idea. It really depends on what kind of wormhole you subscribe to. Some have strong gravitational effects, some have no gravitational effects. And so you'd have to, well, go find a wormhole and find out. Um, a little bit beyond us at this time. Maybe we'll figure that out one of these days. Okay, so what are some definitions of them? So there are several different kinds of wormholes. Uh, we're going to cover um, just general kinds and, and some of the biggest ones. And then we're going to go into what are called transversible wormholes, which are kind of what we more so want to discover. But, unfortunately, wishes don't mimic reality, so we have to go over all of it. So, like I already talked about the Einstein-Rosen bridge, named after Einstein and Nathan Rosen. Uh, they're vacuum solutions to the Einstein field equations. And they are using a maximally extended Schwarzschild metric, which describe a black hole with no rotation and no charge. Okay. So the hardest part of that was probably the extended Schwarzschild metric. Basically, maximally extended just means space-time has no edges. So you can't travel to the edge of space-time. It's impossible. Now, we have no idea if that's true or not, but that was the assumption that Einstein and Ro Nathan Rosen used when they were solving for the Einstein-Rosen bridge equations. So, to satisfy this, this extension of, or this requirement of maximal extension. So, to satisfy this idea of maximal extension, the Einstein-Rosen bridge would take the form of black hole with an interior white hole region which allows physicists to extrapolate trajectories of particles rising up and away from the event horizon. Okay, now, so, obviously there's already an issue. Any current models think it's impossible for black holes and white holes to be so um, interconnected. But, we really don't know if white holes are a thing or not. We're almost certain about black holes. We're 99% there, we just need to actually find one. But white holes were a little more hesitant on. So, okay, the Einstein-Rosen bridge requires the existence of white holes. I'll, I'll concede that. Okay, now how about this part about one inside of the other? Now hold on. That seems a little bit wonky, I think is a good word. But there it is. And to be honest... It's not like Einstein is doing this podcast. I'm very much not. So, it is entirely possible that I just misunderstand the mechanics involved. But, that there it is. So, this bizarre black hole would exist in two distinct exterior regions. Basically, they're not overlapping. So, it would exist in two places in space-time. Now, this doesn't really make sense as far as traveling in the same universe... But what about different universes? Or what about massive distances? I suppose it's theoretically possible that it could exist in two places. Its gravity is so much and so wonky that, well, it skips you like a stone across space-time. I don't really know. And um, we're really not into Einstein-Rosen. Well, Einstein and Rosen. So the interesting part of this, though, is that if you were an observer inside of this 
within the event horizon of the black hole, you'd actually see light from two different areas. Now, one proposed solution is that these different re exterior regions actually represent different universes. So you'd see light from two different universes within the black hole, which is a very cool idea. Okay, so there it is, right? Episode done, we solved fast and light travel. Physics, we did it, we peaked, let's go home. Okay, not really. In 1962, 46 years after Ludwig Fram discovered the Einstein-Rosen bridge solution, which was then later refined by Einstein and Nathan Rosen, John Wheeler and Robert Fuller published a paper in which it appears to prove that an Einstein-Rosen bridge would be unstable and pinch much too quickly for light or anything slower, so any particle, to make it across the bridge if the two parts connect in the same universe. Okay, so that's an issue. Obviously, I don't really want to travel great fast and light distances if it doesn't mean I stay in my own universe. Another universe would be cool, but space exploration kind of requires us to go over our own universe first. So, Einstein and Rosenbridge are not going to solve our interstellar quandaries. They're not going to help us get to Alpha Centauri. But they proved to actually be a great source of inspiration for modern-day physicists trying to find a more refined solution for the wormhole. Modern-day physicists are seeking an idea of a transversible wormhole. Essentially, a wormhole that allows travel. The Casimir effect shows that quantum field theory allows the energy density in certain regions to be negative relative to ordinary vacuum energy, which basically means that quantum mechanics allows for states where energy can be arbitrarily negative at a point. Modern-day physicists such as Stephen Hawking, Kip Thorne, they've actually seen the Casimir effect as the beginning of a way to stabilize wormholes for use in travel. Now... Let's be honest, this is about as far away from our ability as making trips to Sagittarius A. So, a little out there, but they're trying to prove that it's possible, that one day humanity could reach for the stars using this method of fast and light travel. Which is more than we've gotten any other type, so I'll take it where I can get it. Physicists have yet to predict any sort of natural wormhole formation. We're pretty sure they're out there, but we have no idea when or where they form, or what size they'll form. Something that's possible that wormholes might appear and disappear spontaneously at the Planck scale, uh, that is very, very small. And that stable versions may even explain dark matter. A lot of a small thing might explain an absence of, of matter. It's also been proposed that micro-wormholes were created and stabilized by a negative mass cosmic string and appeared around the time of the Big Bang. If these micro-wormholes appeared at the time of the Big Bang, when the universe was very small, well, at this point, due to cosmic inflation, they would have grown to be quite large and capable of holding, I don't know, a spaceship? This is just one possible theory. Ellis wormholes were the first kind of transversible wormhole that was really put forth as a, as a strong theory in the modern-day physics field. They were theorized in a published paper in 1973 by Homer Ellis. 
This builds on his earlier work from 1969, where he talked about the Ellis Drain Hole, which was an incomplete kind of back of the napkin-ish, relatively speaking, way to prove four wormholes. This paper found that the Ellis Drain Hole was geodesically complete, horizonless, singularity-free, and fully transversible in either direction. All this basically means that it had no gravitational singularity, so we didn't have to rely on wormholes or black holes. It had no horizon, so therefore there was no point at which their return is impossible, as that's the event horizon definition for black holes. Nothing can escape once it hits that. And it also proved that they, or rather theorized, that they are fully transversal in either direction. Going faster than light is great. Going faster than light with no way back is a lot worse. In 1973, Kip Thorne and Mike Morris published a paper in which they theorized that there was a wormhole much like the Ellis wormhole, but it required actually exotic matter to be held open for transit. By the way, exotic matter is basically any matter that has a negative energy or mass. So, yeah, it's pretty exotic. And it should be noted that there were other suggested modified forms of general solution for relativity that actually allow for transversible wormholes much more easily or without exotic matter. So, it's possible that Einstein didn't quite get it right. However, it hasn't been disproven yet, so I wouldn't hold your breath on that one. Wormholes also have another interesting effect, and that is time travel. Since wormholes connect two points in space-time, they're capable of not only traveling through space, but traveling through time as well. In 1988, Morris, Thorne, and Yurtsever worked out how to convert a wormhole traversing space into one traversing time. They did this by, or they planned to do this, by accelerating one of the mouths of the wormhole, so one of the two mouths, to a significant fraction of c, the speed of light, then moving the wormhole mouth back to its origin point. Unfortunately, this doesn't make it possible to travel before the time that the wormhole time machine was created, so it's almost like creating a restore point on your computer. You can save everything from this point on, and then from this point on, time travel is possible. But only back to that point. Another method would involve moving one end of a wormhole into a strong gravitational field, like near a black hole. But uh, due to general relativity, again, you can't go back before the time machine was created. Another issue with that is that, well, they they theorized that this would actually uh, break a certain continuity and that the two wormhole mouths would actually not be able to connect again. Um, once you accelerated one to a significant fraction of C, or really anywhere where time dilation is in effect, and they became out of sync, it would be unable to connect. This is solved a little bit later in the episode, or rather proposed to be solution in the later episode. So both of these time travel methods rely on actually general relativity because of the time dilation effects. So significant fraction of C, that has a time dilation effect, you experience a lower relative time as opposed to uh, the objective time passing. So if I'm traveling at 0.9 C, I'll experience time at a much slower rate than anyone who is traveling relatively not 0.9 C. This is one of the issues with fast light travel, even if we could accelerate to that point. 
there's really no way to do it on a human time scale outside of the relative uh, very uh, the time dilated bubble so what's the issue though why doesn't time travel work with this so in 1993 matt visser argued that to the two mouths of the wormholes had been modified could not be brought together like we talked about earlier their connection would collapse and energy transfer would be ended energy transfer like you talked about in our quantum mechanics episode is the basis of quantum mechanics it's all about information transfer so if information transfer is impossible and quantum mechanics have helped to buoy some of the ideas of wormholes well you have an issue there according to quantum mechanics the wormhole can't exist if it becomes a time machine but the possible solution for this is that actually the wormhole mouth that was dilated will connect to another suitable wormhole mouth in another universe now we're pretty sure wormholes exist we're pretty sure some of these uh, proposed solutions are probably right but this one is very very edge this is very fringe science but um it is the proposed solution from um, some physicists who have strong beliefs that alternate universes exist and we can travel to them with wormholes okay so this has been our episode i hope you enjoyed it i must admit my throat is very sore and so it was rather difficult for me to do it but i i hope it was worth it for all of you our next episode is going to be a billy episode um for those of you who haven't heard billy is uh, a good longtime friend of mine and he uh, really it kicked me in the butt to renew this show after our our short-lived five episode run in the spring and as a reward or as a punishment uh we just i decided to go back to weekly and recruited him to do alternating weeks with me so next week uh, is going to be his episode it's going to be released on monday january 7th 2019 and uh, he's going to be talking about constellations, kind of the origins, what they mean, uh, what are some interesting, maybe like tidbits about things that are in them, um, what cultures founded them, things like that. And he's going to, he's going to talk about that. Um, hopefully, you listened to his last episode and enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good about uh, unique planets and such, um, odd planets and their fiery friends, or strange planets and their fiery friends. So, um, well, hopefully, you'll tune in for that. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at signifyingnothingnetwork at gmail.com. And um, we would uh, like some input. We would like some feedback. Uh, we would love if you could subscribe, if you could recommend us to your friends, if you could review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. We've gotten some positive reviews from there. Um, but we'd like any reviews. Negative feedback, positive feedback. If you want to email us, uh, I can. you tell us you don't want us to reply. I promise I won't reply. Uh, but we'd really appreciate it. It helps us learn and helps us grow. So, um, next episode, January 7th, Constellations by Billy. And that about wraps us up. Uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, also you can find us at facebook.com forward slash signifying nothing network. And uh, all right, that's it. This has been The Universe in You by the Signifying Nothing Network, a tale told by Ids. Have a good, existentially unimportant week.